everybody. I'm Christina Watson, Director of Federal Government Affairs for Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. You are joining us for another edition of the Farm Focus podcast. Today, I have with me Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for American Farm Bureau. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role? Yeah, thanks, Christina. Thanks for having me on. I'm Director of Congressional Relations at the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, I cover uh, issues in our public policy shop from energy and transportation, Clean Air Act, climate change, biotechnology, and lead our farm policy team. So any of those issue areas, whether that's with Congress or with the White House and the administration, uh, those, those are the areas that I work in. Great. Very good. And how long have you been with American Farm Bureau? It was nine years this month. Wow. And before that, you were with uh, Florida Farm Bureau, right? That's correct. So I was with Florida Farm Bureau for, for almost 16 years. So I'm uh, coming up on 15 years of Farm Bureau employment at various levels, um, but it's a great organization. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're here to talk about uh, one of American Farm Bureau's um, recent initiatives, the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. I know you've played a large role in that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how the alliance came about? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a space that uh, if, if you're familiar with Farm Bureau or been around the, the climate change discussion for any amount of time, it's, uh, it's one where we're taking a little bit different position than we maybe have in the past. But really, it all started at the beginning of the 116th Congress, uh, you know, almost two years ago. Uh, in response to the Green New Deal, you know, there's a lot of proposals and consternation conversations and misinformation when it came to agriculture and climate and sustainability. And so it provided us an opportunity to get some of the ag commodity groups together in Washington, D.C. To, to end up forming a group known as the Farmers for Sustainable Future. Uh, and that group's still around today. You can go to sustainablefarming.us to find out more information. Uh, but it provided us an opportunity to really kind of circle up the wagons and start having a discussion in this space and see, you know, what is agriculture's you know, footprint, what, what are we doing on sustainability, and what does it mean to climate? Uh, and really, when you look at it holistically, we have a pretty good story to tell. Uh, you, you look globally, and agriculture greenhouse gas emissions around the world is closer to 25%, where here in the U.S., you know, our number is less than 10%. Uh, what, what's causing that? And I would argue a lot of that is the, you know, voluntary market-based incentives over time, the the uh, really important innovation that American agriculture has undertaken. If you look over roughly two generations, we've increased our output by over 270% while our inputs have remained flat. So we're you know, doing more while using less. And so hopefully that will get some of our members more comfortable about discussing this issue. Uh, you know, with Farmers for a Sustainable Future, we want to keep that as a producer group. We think that's important as policy discussions uh, you know, will ramp up in the next Congress and with the new administration. And so we were approached at the end of last year uh, about forming a new group that was a little more broad than just producer groups. It would include more of the food value chain uh, and it would include some environmental groups. And so we started meeting earlier this year, uh, eight organizations. So you've got Farm Bureau, you got National Farmers Union, National Council of Farmer Co-ops, NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Ag, NAFO, the National Association of Forest Owners, uh, coming together with some of our food value chain partners, such as FMI, the Food Industry Association, and then a couple of environmental groups, the Environmental Defense Fund and the Nature Conservancy. And we started meeting and having a dialogue to see if there was any common ground uh, 
around policy proposals uh, with climate and agriculture. And you try to look at, you know, where some of the positives are in 2020 with all the challenges that are out there is, I don't know if we would have accomplished what we were able to accomplish uh, if we weren't, you know, sequestered in our houses and talking on Zoom meetings 10 hours a week. You know, we, you get busy, you have lunches to run to and the like. And so when that happened, you know, there was more time for some of these discussions. And so we ended up meeting, you know, pretty much from April to, to end of August weekly, you know, 10 to 12 hours a week discussing policy proposals and eventually came up with a set of initial recommendations that span 50 pages uh, and has 40 different policy proposals for agriculture. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, I think we're seeing more and more in agriculture, the realization that we have to work together and look a little bit outside our own unique boxes and work with others um, that have common interests. And it sounds like if you have 50 pages of policy recommendations, we certainly have a lot of common interest points. And I think that's something maybe mo many people might not assume may happen. Um, and so I think that that's really exciting news for um, this alliance and, and you know how we move forward. Um, do you want to talk about some of the, the recommendations? I know obviously if there's 50 pages, we can't talk about all of them, but maybe some of the ones that you think might be of most interest for our folks. So we first united around kind of three simple principles that it's got to be voluntary market and incentive based. It's got to be grounded in science and it has to promote the resilience of American agriculture and help our rural economies adapt. Uh, you know, it's also kind of in this vein, we wanted to make sure that we had this overarching goal of to do no harm. And that means no harm to farmers and ranchers, no harm to rural communities, and no harm to, you know, existing, you know, farm programs that are so important for so many farmers. So that was kind of the lens uh, we went into this uh, as an overarching goal. And then we kind of broke out into different working groups and we looked at and came together with several different recommendations in this space. Uh, the first one being soil health, livestock and dairy, forest and wood products, energy, food loss and waste and research. So that's kind of how the report's broken out uh, into those different areas. And you know, then we get into 40 recommendations from there. So I'm not, I'm not gonna go that in depth. You can find all this though at agclimatealliance.com. You can download the report. But I would say that there's kind of two tracks that's a theme through most of these recommendations is, you know, there's, there's one track that's very much market-based that we're trying to find additional incentives uh, to, to sequester carbon or to destroy carbon dioxide equivalents, like say for a dairy producer, you know, to install a methane digester where it makes economic sense. Uh, so we're looking at tax credits. We're looking at uh, the voluntary markets to be developed uh, and really let those innovative landowners, sometimes maybe larger landowners, um, to participate in those markets and just really let the entrepreneurial spirit of American agriculture figure out how to, how to destroy or sequester the most tons. And then the second track that you'll kind of see as a theme is, you know, for either maybe some smaller landowners or maybe those that are saying, look, I've, I've struggled, you know, I'm just trying to farm, but I want to do a little bit more. I want to continue to be a good steward. You know, can I work with my extension? Can I work with USDA and RCS? Uh, is, can we adapt some of those programs to get some new practices on the ground and maybe some, some additional benefits to those producers? So that's really kind of the two themes and tracks that tracks through all the different recommendations. Great. So for, um, for an average producer who might be listening today, you know, what, what might some of these recommendations mean for them? 
Well, I would say it's, it's early. Uh, it's definitely some that they should be considering and, and provide feedback to us from. Uh, once again, adclimatealliance.com, we've got a form on there where you can provide feedback. Um, but just to be aware that, and I think most producers are definitely aware of this, this is why we're positioning in our organizations where we are, is that this debate is coming. Uh, whether it's the new administration taking action, whether it's the 117th Congress, or you're just seeing all these different type of commitments from the business community. Uh, whether you know they're making pledges, whether they they're being pressured by activist shareholders, you know farmers and ranchers continually are going to face this issue of sustainability and climate smart practices. And so, if we can get enough groups together, obviously to influence public policy, but even some of these broader business decisions that are being made, you know we want to make sure they work for agriculture. So go in there, review those those practices. You know we're not expecting them to work on every farm. That's why it's got to be voluntary. Uh, there's a lot of recommendations around re regionality. You know, the regions of, the Amer of America are so diverse. Uh, you look at Pennsylvania agriculture compared to Arizona ag agriculture, uh, very different soils, very different industry, um, very different practices. So uh, it's definitely something that's not going to be overarching for every producer. You know, the one thing I'll add just from a Farm Bureau perspective, you know, there's a lot that we can be for, but we still got our policy book and, and clear delineation on the things that would be harmful for agriculture. Uh, and we're going to continue to advocate in that sense that we're trying to be proactive and positive in the things that we can achieve, but still very um, aware and, and proactive in, in defending things and working against things that would be harmful to American agriculture. And that, that's a really good point, Andrew. You know, we are a grassroots organization and we definitely pride ourselves in that. Um, and I think that helps. I know, I know it helps with, when we advocate for our policies with lawmakers. They know that we're speaking directly on behalf of our members, and that's always a good thing. Um, can you talk maybe a little bit more specifically about how some of the alliance's recommendations um, aligns with Farm Bureau policy? Yeah, so everything that's that's in these recommendations align with Farm Bureau policy. We actually have quite a bit of policy, you know, from farm programs to an actual climate change policy. You know, there might have been one or two that are on the edges of our policy. It's definitely there in spirit. And we brought it to our board of directors to, you know, make sure that they were comfortable in supporting some of these ideas. And it was a unanimous decision by the board um, that we that we had robust enough policy to move forward. And so, uh, you know, once again, with the overarching th theme of being voluntary incentive based, you know, that definitely uh, fits into our, our policy matrix. And there's a lot of the things we've supported long term. I mean, the section under energy, you know, we're all the above uh, energy supporters. And so where we can find additional opportunities for renewable fuels, renewable energy, you know, utilizing, once again, you know, a platform like a digester that provides additional environmental benefits. It isn't the cure-all and doesn't always make economic sense, but are there additional resources or incentives that could be put in place to make them more economical? And so those are a lot of what the recommendations look at. Um, once again, forward thinking, positive, and find an alignment with, you know, partners that we don't always have robust discussions with or alignment with is what I think is really important about this group is that we're able to take a lot of our, you know, Farm Bureau policies and, and some of our partner policies that are more production ag and align it with an environmental community that hopefully helps, um, you know, our spread our message and our policy and, and message across the hill. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we, as we talked about earlier, so, you know, we always have, um, we have a great reputation as Farm Bureau alone, um, but when we can partner with others, 
um, to make our voices heard even more. I think that helps us move initiatives forward. And I think this is a great example of that, that we can stand together with a pretty diverse coalition of folks all coalescing around several ideas that are, are really important for for the future of our industry and for our farmers to be successful. And I think the fact that everything um, is, is voluntary and market-based, I think that just gives that added layer of um, potential success um, for the many recommendations that we have um, as part of the Alliance. Um, you know, in Pennsylvania, you mentioned Pennsylvania, um, we, a lot of our state is in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And as a result, our farmers in Pennsylvania have long been um, working hard at climate smart and sustainable practices to help protect the Bay watershed. Um, and, you know, things that we've done within Pennsylvania and surveys that we've done, we found that farmers, many farmers are implementing these types of practices, uh, sustainable practices on their farms already. Um, and so I think that's encouraging, definitely, especially as we're looking towards these voluntary market-based solutions. Um, you know, for those farmers that maybe aren't, um, you know, ste stepping forward quite as much in, in putting in some of the sustainable and climate smart practices, you know, why, can you talk maybe a little bit about why farmers should care and, and should think about what they can do on their farm? Well, I think it's a realization that, you know, our farmers have done a lot, uh, you know, to, to your initial point. Um, there's a lot of progress that's been made here. When you talk about conservation programs, I would argue, you know, the Green New Deal for Agriculture is the Farm Bill that is typically reauthorized every five years. We've got the conservation title. And through that, we've got over 140 million acres enrolled into some type of conservation program just at the federal level. As not talk about state initiatives that Pennsylvania might be undertaking or other private initiatives. And that land area is equivalent to the size of California and New York combined. So, uh, that is nothing to, to sneeze at, um, you know, for, for going forward. And part of the challenge with all this, you know, is early adopters. And we make some recommendations in there on how they should be, you know, recognized because you, you don't want to disincentivize folks that have been trying to do the right thing. You want to encourage their participation going forward. You know, for those that, that might not have had the opportunity to engage as much or it hasn't come to their doorstep, um, you know, it's, it's obviously coming. Uh, and I think one of the key components that we argue about sustainability is economic viability. Uh, it's got to make economic sense for producers. And so you've, you've got, once again, the voluntary aspect of this, you've got to be able to pick and choose which makes economic sense on, on your farm and not mandate it because you're just going to put farmers out of business. And so having those suite of options, different tracks you can take, uh, whether you're, you're wanting to look more towards, um, you know, maybe government guidance or trying to kind of follow the market, you know, we think that's important too, to have choice. You know, either way, society continues to expect more and more out of farmers and ranchers. Uh, you know, we provide so many benefit, societal benefits from being able to have, continue to have green space, to water recharge, to being able to improve water quality, sequester carbon. Um, more and more, those expectations are gonna come to us. And so it's a terrible cliche that's way overused in, in Washington and Thanksgiving was last week, but you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And what we're trying to do here is kind of set the table going forward um, to make sure that ag's included in these discussions and that they're shaped in a way um, that's beneficial for producers, the environment, and consumers for large. That's, that's great. And, you know, when talking about how, how can we be at the table, how can farmers be at the table? Um, you know, obviously, we're playing a role by getting engaged 
in this alliance and, and, and trying to lead the conversation forward. But let's take this down to the individual farmer level. How can farmers get involved um, in helping to you know, push this initiative forward? Yeah, so hopefully you're a Farm Bureau member, right? I mean, so being, being a member uh, helps you stay engaged. You know, there's gonna be an opportunity. You know, this is just the initial phase uh, on some of these recommendations. We're gonna continue to look for input and we're also wanting to grow our membership base. So we're looking at adding additional groups. You know, when we launched this uh, in, in the world of Zoom, you know, you do a bunch of briefings. The largest Zoom call I've been on so far had over 400 people and it was for this FACA event. There's a lot of uh, groups that are interested in being involved with this discussion. Uh, so, you know, we're gonna be sw switching to the advocacy phase here. And so there's gonna be an opportunity to engage your lawmakers. Uh, you know, Farm Bureau will help send out action alerts and keep you up to date, but you should always be building those relationships with your elected officials at the state, local, and obviously federal level. You know, one of the key components though for farmers, there's, there's some instances where we don't know what to do, right? I mean, part of our recommendation calls on USDA to pass uh, or to take up and, and Congress to pass the Growing Climate Solutions Act, uh, which would direct USDA to provide more information to producers, to create a web platform that you know, describe some of the practices that are beneficial, some of the providers that are aggregating credits, some of the practices that um, are acceptable, and it creates an advisory committee for the secretary um, so they can make additional recommendations going forward. And that includes, you know, academia, researchers, but also, you know, actual farmers, producers to make recommendations. And so part of the challenge here is we need more information, uh, not only from kind of the 21st extension idea to the farmer, but the research is still out. There's still so many questions that need to take place. So I think it's the key of, of being educated or trying to educate yourself on what might work on your farm. Uh, if you've got something figured out, you know, you, you know you're seeing better soil conditions or uh, better yields because of some of the practices you're implemented, you know, that's what we need to know. You need to work with Penn State and, and uh, your certified crop advisor or whatever it may be. There's a role for all these folks to, to play in this. And so um, you know, outside of not knowing, it's kind of a little early in this space. You know, we're also calling for additional research needs too, um, to have, have a better idea of what does work and what are some of the drawbacks with some of the practices that might be asked upon us uh, going forward. So obviously we're coming to the close of the 116th Congress. Um, the 117th will start up early in the new year. Um, where, and you, and you also mentioned the Growing Climate Solutions Act as an important first step in the process. So where do you see us focusing in the new Congress in terms of starting to figure out, you know, what, what plan of action do we take in, in trying to get some of these recommendations implemented? Well, some I think we'll see in the, probably the first 100 days uh, by the new administration. Um, there was a Climate 21 proposal that came out about the time uh, we released our recommendations uh, that you'll see some overlap. Um, that wasn't intentional, uh, but some of the people that worked on that were working with us. We brought outside experts. We were having a lot of discussion here. Um, so that might give you an idea of, of what might, might take place administratively. Um, but a lot of these require congressional action. Um, you know, pending the outcome in the Georgia Senate uh, runoff races, you know, if we do have a split Congress, as most expect, it's doubtful that we will have one massive climate bill. Um, but there will definitely be a tinge of climate in almost everything that this Congress does is my best, uh, my bet. So, 
you know, is there an opportunity for a carbon tax credit? I'm not talking about a tarbon, carbon tax per se, but a, a tax credit that uh, incentivizes uh, farmers to sequester carbon or destroy methane. Um, they would get potentially a tax credit at a certain value, say $40 a ton. Um, they could utilize that tax credit to, you know, retire any tax liability they have. And in a case they didn't, the key component of making it work would be transferability. So you could sell that credit to a company or to someone who was investing in these or aggregating these credits, um, you know, and that has a value there. So you could have a discussion, you know, if we have a, a major tax bill, you know, the appropriations process. Um, and then obviously we're gearing up for the 2023 farm bill. You know, a lot of this will be a discussion, uh, particularly under the conservation title. So I don't think we'll see just one massive climate bill, but there's going to be a bunch of bites at the apple over the next couple of years where, um, you know, policy could be decided that has a dramatic impact on agriculture. And we're trying to make sure it works in a way um, that sustains farmers and ranchers and doesn't put us out of business. That's really interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of potential here for public-private partnerships. And um, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, maybe what recommendations might lend itself in that direction and what they might be? Yeah, there is a lot of work in the space. There's private markets being developed. There's companies out there now that that'll pay you for carbon. Uh, you know, I would just say be careful uh, if you're entering into a contract like you would with any contract. Understand what you're giving up. Uh, you know that this is a um, early, maybe premature market. You might not be uh, signing up for the best price in the next few years if these things really take off. So always consult with an attorney. Um, but you know, Farm Bureau is not just you know playing the the public policy game. We've got an industry affairs team that consistently works with businesses on their different sustainability initiatives from, you know, McDonald's to Cargill to, to General Mills and, and most folks in between. Uh, and we're trying to bring the industry together to do that. We also, we're also a member of a group of uh, ESMC, which is uh, Eco uh, System Services Market Consortium, which is trying to develop a credit market uh, around environmental credits, both in water and carbon, and I think eventually wildlife uh, credits as well. And so that's a private uh, partnership where you've got a lot of the major companies that are looking to meet some of their sustainability pledges through uh, the acquisition of credits and looking at landowners to provide those. So we're looking at all areas. Um, we think there's definitely a role, once again, that this should be voluntary and market-based. We like to see as much of this as possible coming from the private markets, but we know Washington's gonna get their fingers into this in some form or fashion and making sure that that public policy is shaped in the, in the best way possible is you know, obviously Farm Bureau's role as well. Right, so you know, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think it might be interesting to some of our listeners to hear maybe some of the things that you're aware of that agriculture is already doing in terms of you know, sustainability and climate smart practices that we can be talking about as we engage um, on these recommendations? Yeah, I would once again direct folks to sustainablefarming.us is our, our website for farmers for a sustainable future. Uh, we've got all kinds of, of graphics and data there with also links to the different industry groups that are part of uh, Farmers for a Sustainable Future that talks about their sustainability initiatives. So if you're a beef producer, you can see a lot of the work that NCBA has done and pull numbers there. We've got dairy, uh, you know, national milk producers and the like that you can pull information. But we've also got some really big holistic numbers. I mentioned it earlier that we've increased our productivity by 
over 270%, uh, while our input has remained relatively flat in roughly two generations. That's a huge story. That's a huge testament to farmers' commitment to innovation, uh, to utilizing research and implementing that on the ground. Uh, it's you know adopting practices that are better for the environment. It, it's uh, you know our improved genetics, whether that's through biotechnology in our seeds or or herd genetics. We need to continue to build on those type of opportunities of innovation going forward to to kind of continue on this pathway. Uh, you look at our support of renewable energy. Um, you know with biofuels in 2018 uh, alone, you know we reduced uh, carbon emissions by 71 million metric tons. I mean that's something we strongly support. Uh, we've seen an over 130% increase in on-farm renewable energy. So farmers have really been, you know, walking the walk while maybe others have been talking the talk. Uh, we've been supporting things, you know, I mentioned the 140 million acres under conservation programs through the Farm Bill. Um, you know, these are long-standing things that we continually try to make improvements. Uh, we're seeing per unit of, uh, of emissions uh, reductions in many of our commodities. Uh, you look on the animal side, which a lot of times, um, you know, is kind of smeared. Uh, by particularly, I would say, activists. But when you look at, at dairy over the last 30 years, their per unit of emissions have been reduced by 25%. Uh, the hog industry is uh, close to 20%, and the beef industry is at 10%. So we're not overall, not only seeing an overall reduction, uh, it's that key per unit where we're producing more, but our emissions are going down. That's really interesting. I know I'm always, I know and I hear from our farmers about the, the many, many great things agriculture is doing to, you know, sustain our land for future generations. But sometimes it's, a, it, it's amazing when I start to hear all of those numbers. And um, I think that as we, as we move forward in talking about some of these recommendations and trying to advocate for some of these initiatives, um, continuing to talk about these great stories and helping our members talk about these great stories will go a long way to helping you know, show agriculture's already what they're doing and then our commitment towards future sustainability and climate smart um, initiatives and activities. And I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I totally agree with you, Christina. I mean, and that's part of what we're trying to do with Farmers for Sustainable Future is, is get farmers more comfortable and put some numbers in their, their, their hands. I mean, to arm them with some numbers. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all want a lot of the same things. Um, the challenge sometimes is we communicate past each other. You know, we talk about things in the farm and in agriculture in a little bit different way than somebody in the city. But, you know, at the end, we want to leave the land in a better place than we received it. We want to carry it on for the next generation. We want to do the best we can when it comes to air and water quality. Uh, we just might not use some of the same terms. And, you know, quite frankly, maybe we're a little more attuned to nature and know, uh, you know, some of the good work that's being done and we don't lose sleep at night, but we know there's challenges out there and we recognize that we can do better. And so, you know, that's really what a lot of, a lot of this is about. We do have to be wide, our eyes wide open going into this, that there are bad policy proposals out there that will stifle innovation in agriculture, that will drive us backwards, that will harm the economy. But there is a lot of good that we can do. Uh, and there's nothing that we should shy from, from the improvements we've made uh, over, the, over the last several decades. That's a really great point, Andrew. And, you know, I think our farmers, like you said, they keep their heads down and work. And these are things that many of them have been doing, or at least, you know, doing different um, sustainable practices over the years. And they just do them without thinking about it. And um, they don't often talk about it. And so give a, talking about these things gives our farmers the opportunity to showcase some of the things that they do best. And, you know, COVID has caused plenty of challenges for this country, but 
I think one of the good things for agriculture is it has highlighted the importance of agriculture and our food supply and also increased consumer interest in, in local food and what farmers are doing. And I think telling these stories of sustainability and climate smart practices, it really ties in with that interest. And I think we can continue to, to, to tell that great story um, in this kind of new era as we're entering the 117th Congress and, um, you know, just talking about what we do. And I, I think that's, that's really great. Um, so I've asked a lot of questions here, but I'm sure maybe that there's some things that you didn't get to say that you think our listeners might want to hear. So I'll flip the floor to you for a second to see if you've got some, some, some other things that you'd like to, to talk about, whether it's regarding the Alliance or some of the other things that we're working on. Here. Yeah, I just would add on your last point, um, you know, we've done some polling at American Farm Bureau, uh, particularly since the, the pandemic started, and we've seen a continued increase in, in trust from the consumers uh, and farmers, uh, nearly nine in 10 adults trust farmers. So that's why it's so important to tell our story. Uh, I know that's, a, once again, kind of the cliche we use a lot of times. And uh, you know, you don't have to pretend you're the expert in everything, but you can talk about your farm and hopefully some of the information we can arm you with. Um, you know, and already 58% of, of adults in the same polling um, rate the sustainability of, of farmers' practices positively. So it's we're working on good ground here, and, and they want to help support us. Um, you know, COVID did obviously show some challenges uh, with the food supply, especially early on. Um, but I would argue that's not necessarily on the farmer's back. That's just the supply chain challenges that, you know, a rapidly shifting market that we've hope, uh, hopefully adjusted to. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, farmers and ranchers, we all make up less than 2% of the population. Uh, we've got to be able to work in coalitions. We've got to work with others to, to move forward, to make sure our interests are, are captured. Um, you know, it's really important in D.C. You might be scratching your head. Why, why is Farm Bureau working with some of these groups? But it's in coalitions that make things happen. It's working with the ag industry in general, but finding other partners uh, when you really can move the needle on Capitol Hill. And so that's what we're trying to do here uh, is, to, is to move forward in a space that, that we should be proud of uh, to make sure we continue to protect the interest of our members going forward. That's great. And it sounds like that's a a good note to close on. Um, Andrew, do you want to remind our listeners about where do they go to learn more about the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance? Yeah, so if you go to agclimatealliance.com, uh, it's a pretty simple website. It's got a landing page uh, with all, all the groups that are, that are part of this so far. We're adding to that, but you can download the report. Uh, you can look at the recommendations yourself. And then there's also a section at the bottom if you want to sign up and, and, you know, get on our mailing list, learn more as we move forward, uh, you can do that. There's a form to fill up and, and ask for additional information. Great. Well, Andrew, thanks for joining us today on the Farm Focus podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Um, it was really interesting learning more about the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance, and I really look forward to seeing what we're able to do uh, moving forward. So thanks for joining us today. Yep. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Farm Focus, please subscribe. More episodes are on the way, and all of our past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Podbean at pfbcast.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.